Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John chapter number 6. It so happens that this particular chapter speaks a great deal about the miracles of Christ. It speaks about Him stilling the storm, feeding the multitude. The chapter begins with a great multitude that followed Him because they saw His miracles. Then as they progress, and as the Lord begins to lay down the stipulations for, for discipleship, as He begins to show them His expectations for those that would be followers, all of a sudden uh, things begin to change. At one minute it says that they would have would have taken him by force and made him a king. Think about that for a moment. Had his only desire been the acceptance in this world, had his only be desire been to be able to rule over a nation, that would have been the ideal moment. But they did not understand the purpose for which he came which was not to liberate them from, from the iron heel of the Roman government, but rather to provide forgiveness for their sins. In trying to illustrate that, he speaks of himself as the bread of life that is able to, to satisfy the deepest longing of the soul. And that brings us down to verse number 66, where it says, From that time... Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ the Son of the living God. I want you to notice verse number 68, I text this morning. And I want to remind you that, that we live in a world that is not only corrupt, but a world that is very confused. And we see that not only in the time in which our Lord lived, but we see it even today. After all of these years, man has not come up with a a solution that is viable, anything that would uh, would meet our deepest needs, and we go from one crisis to another. That you know, that's true on a national level. It's true, you know, in our own lives. Every one of us, we you know, if it's smooth sailing today, you better hang on because tomorrow there's going to be a crisis of some kind. But notice uh, that Peter's statement. Here in verse 68, whenever he replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? That was in response to the Lord's question in verse 67. Notice he said, will ye also go away? Now Jesus knew the answer, of course. He was trying to make them think. And the question is, do you want the crowd or Christ? And Peter's answer reveals that he was focused on the right thing. Notice he said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. 
And so he is focused on the matter of eternal life, while the others were focused on the miracles and not willing to accept the teachings of Christ. In other words, for them, this was merely a form of entertainment. They would follow him from place to place watching these miracles and you know, they were thrilled, you know, at being able to be a witness of something like that. They would have even allowed him to rule over them in the sense of being the king of the nation. But Peter said the real issue here is eternal life, and we don't have anywhere else to go. Now, the context here has to do with being a true follower of Christ. And the question that from Peter can be applied to every area of our life. Notice he said, to whom shall we go? Now, if the Lord is able to save the most vile, sinful soul, if the Lord is able to forgive us of all of our sins, deliver us from condemnation, assure us of heaven, change our character, if the Lord is able to do all of those things, then most certainly He's able to do any other thing in our life that constitutes a need. So whenever Peter says, to whom shall we go? I think we need to enlarge our vision and think not only of of the Lord getting us into heaven, but thinking about all of the provisions that He provides for us. Think about who can we rely upon for the resources that we need. Who do we go to? It's obvious that we all need to go to someone. We need to go somewhere because there's not a person here that doesn't have a need of some kind. To whom shall we go? I want you to notice this morning three things. First of all, the number of our needs are vast. To say that the Lord was only concerned about our, our great spiritual need of salvation, I think would be unfair. I think the Lord is concerned about every area of our life. Were that not the case, we would not read in Matthew 6.33 where he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and, all, and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That indicates he's concerned about every area of our life and our needs are vast. In fact, it's impossible to count all of the problems that plague us. How, how, do you, how do you measure all of the misery known to man? How, come, how can we even begin to describe all of our difficulties? And I think Job said it best in Job 14.1, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I, that, that, that just sums it all up. And we're foolish to think that we, in some way or another, that we ought, to, we ought to be able to escape all of these problems. Well, I'm sorry, but that's life. That's life. That's the way it is. That, you know, the Lord never promised exemption from trials in this life. And we can only thank God that it's not as bad as what we really deserve. You see... 
So face the fact this morning, the number of your needs are vast. I mean, there are many. And then the nature of your needs are varied. In other words, they're not all of one sort. They're not all of one size. There are many different kinds of problems, and the problems all come in different degrees. And that's why it's never fair for any of us to judge one another when somebody says, well, you know, I've got this problem. We say, oh yeah, I know how you feel. I had that problem too. No, you don't know how they feel. We all feel different. There can be two people here with exactly the same diagnosis, the same basic problem, but we relate to that in a different way, whether it's the degree of the pain or whatever it is. It's never fair for us to make judgments of another person. Well, you say, yeah, but I, I think maybe they're just using that as an excuse. So what? Is that your business? Wouldn't that be God's business? That's between them and the Lord. I had to learn the hard way on this because, you know, as a young preacher and I, you know, I, I thought everything ought to be just right and I just felt I had a special commission from God to make sure that everybody did exactly what they're supposed to do. That was my mission in life. For the church and for my family and everybody. So if Bev might have said, you know, honey, I, I really, I, I'm not feeling real well tonight. I, you know, my my attitude, whether I put it in words or not, was suck it up, buttercup, come on to church tonight. You know, we've all got our problems. We none of us none of us feel good. I mean, that was the way I come across to her. Don't ask her. <laughs> it's worse, but uh But I'll tell you, after a while you begin to learn that none of us have that right to make that judgment of another person because we don't know how we go. Our problems vary they in, in, in degree, in size, in sort, and in every way. And the fall of man has affected us in every way. We're talking about the nature of our problems now and how they vary. In some instances, the problem is physical. And whatever you do, don't don't ever you know, underestimate the severity of a physical problem. I mean, sometimes if you've got a severe pain of some kind, it affects you every way. It can affect you spiritually in, in, in every way of your life. And physical problems are extremely difficult to deal with. Even after I sat down after the announcement, I started thinking about uh, Leanne and Janet back here and Carol and different ones that, that I was very much aware of the fact that I didn't mention all of the names. I couldn't, didn't have time to do that. And, and of all of those people that are right now, you know, going through physical problems of some kind or another, that, that's not a small thing. That's a major issue, a major problem. Not only their physical problems, but their emotional problems. Domestic problems, you see. And in every area of, of, of our life, it might be vocational, it might be financial, it might be spiritual, whatever it is. And all of these constitute needs that we cannot meet in and of ourselves. We're, we're needy creatures, and I mean from the cradle to the grave that we're that way. We come into this world totally dependent upon somebody else. And 
a lot of times we leave this world in exactly that same condition, you see. So the nature of our needs are many. But the great thing here is that the needs for our problems are verified. And that's where we're going to camp. The needs for our problems have been verified. If you have a problem, whatever the problem is, it's important that you go to the right place. I mean, if you're sick, you go to a doctor. You don't go to a carpenter, right? And if your car breaks down, you go to a what? A mechanic. You don't go to a brain surgeon. You know, that wouldn't do any good. He might be a, you know, a brilliant brain surgeon, but he doesn't know anything about, I started to say carburetors. They don't use carburetors now, do they? And the fuel injection and all of that stuff, you know. But, you know, he doesn't know anything about that. I'm a preacher, not a mechanic. I mean, if your car breaks down, don't call me. Call Bubba or somebody. I can't help you. He can. If you have an electrical problem, you need an electrician. You don't need a plumber or a landscaper. You need somebody that, you know, that's an expert in that area. And the problem is a lot of people are looking in the wrong places to get help for their needs. Think about it. In the emotional realm, for example, there are those that have these emotional problems. So what do they do? Well, they turn to alcohol, turn to drugs. They turn to uh, some unsafe shrink somewhere to give them advice on what they ought to do. Well, he's more messed up than you are. Why are you going to him? But, you, but yet people do those kind of things in order to, to get their emotional needs met. Somebody needs guidance, they... Yeah, like my grandma, you know, they turn to the horoscope. Yeah, that, that you know, gonna, or go to a fortune teller. That's what granny did. And, and a lot of people think they need guidance that, you know, they, they do that or they turn to some secular source somewhere and depend upon their advice. If the issue is domestic, they go to a marriage counselor. And, and certainly there are people that can help. But let me tell you, there are many so-called experts, self-proclaimed experts that claim they have all of the answers and they don't even know the questions. That's the problem. Somebody's got a vocational problem, what do they do? Well, they get a life coach. That's, that's the modern, you know, popular catchphrase today. You know, if they got a financial problem, well, some of them will go to these prosperity preachers. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. The ones that tell you if you just love Jesus and trust Jesus and give everything you can to them, well, then, you know, then God will make you a millionaire. If they have behavioral issues, they go, well, maybe to AA or some other place like that and depend upon them. If they have a spiritual problem, here's the saddest part of all of it. If they have a spiritual problem, they end up turning to religion which is man's most dangerous enemy. Because let me tell you, it gives people a false sense of security and, and, and puts them in grave danger. You see, let me tell you, it's better to have no hope than to have a false hope. If you've got no hope, you'll be looking for something that helps. But when you've got a false hope, you'll cling to that desperately till the day that you die without ever having your need met. 
And I simply want you to understand this morning that there is only one source where any and all of our problems ultimately can be met. Now, whenever I say that, please don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that God doesn't use doctors. I'm not saying that God doesn't use auto mechanics. I'm not saying that God doesn't use people. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm telling you, God works through people. Think about that. You know, a lot of times we attribute the healing to the doctor when ultimately it was God. We attribute our safety to the good brakes on the car when ultimately it was God. Let me tell you, He's the one running the whole show. And that's why I say that the one source for any and all of our problems is the Lord. And that's... That's what Jesus is saying, verse 48, he said, I am the bread of life. That was another way in that day of saying, I'm everything you need. Because as long as man had bread, you know, that was what he needed. And let me tell you, vain is the help of man because sinful man cannot provide the needs for other sinful men. We need divine help. And it's never a mistake whenever we take our needs to Christ because He's the one that can conquer every problem that we're contending with. Where else would you find forgiveness for your sins? Now, you know, I could rob a bank and I could go to the judge and say, Judge, you know, I'm really sorry, but I I was in such a desperate need. I went to that boat show. I saw that new boat and realized mine was out of date and I, I couldn't live any longer without getting a new boat. You know, fishing season was coming on. I didn't know how else I was going to get it. And so I thought, well, you know, the bank's got a lot of money. I'll just rob a bank somewhere. I want you to forgive me, Judge. I know I, I, sh- I should have been more patient and waited on that. Now think about it. Whenever we sin, the only one that can ultimately forgive us of our sins is God. Because of the offense is against Him. Certainly we hurt one another in the process, don't we? And it's a good thing when somebody's willing to forgive you, but because they forgive you doesn't mean you've settled the score with God. So the only way to secure forgiveness is to go to the right place, and the, and the right place is Jesus. He's the only place you can find justification for those that are guilty. How else could we ever be justified in the sight of God? How else could we find salvation for those that are lost? How could we ever find acceptance for those that have been cast out, as it were, those living under condemnation? How could we ever convince God to accept us were it not for Christ? The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. Go to Him. For those that are spiritually dead, and that's all of us by nature, we're all dead spiritually. The only place for us to receive spiritual life is where? With Jesus. That's the only place we'll ever find hope for the hopeless and peace for those that are troubled, supplies for those that are destitute, and safety for those that are fearful. 
There's, look, there's not enough words to describe all He is to us because He alone has the words of eternal life. That's what Peter's saying. Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. But not only does He have the words, He has the authority to offer eternal life. You know, I could say, look, if you'll come over... If you'll come over to the house and do this and do that, I've got a list of chores, I'll give you $10 million. I, I could make that offer, but I don't have it within my power. I don't have the authority to be able to do anything like that. But the Lord makes the offer of eternal life, and then He's the one that has the authority. He has the power to provide it. And the great thing about it is He is not only able, He is accessible. To, to all, not not just some select few, but he's accessible to whosoever will. The Bible says. So thank God, whatever the need, where do we go? We go to Him. Now notice verse sixty-six. Here's the here's the sad news. It says certain of the folks went back and walked no more with Him. In other words, they walked away from the one thing they needed most. The one they needed most. They left the only source of help. What, what a sad decision that was. Peter said, to whom shall we go? Have you ever thought about that? To whom shall we go? I love the song that Willie sang. In fact, they sang it at Brother Larry Jones' funeral, that song, Come to Jesus. That, that's what this is all about. Peter said, to whom shall we go? And it's like the Lord saying, come to me. Well, whatever the need is, whatever the nature of the problem is, whatever the size, whatever the sort, you, you come to me. And there are those that have spent their entire life looking for the solution to their needs, and yet they've never come to Jesus. They've gone to church. They've sat down with the preacher. They've read books. They've listened to tapes. They've done everything imaginable except come to Jesus. And let me tell you, this could be your day of discovery. Notice in verse 37 of this chapter, Jesus said, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Amen. Thank God for that. Your search for help when you come to the Lord will never be in vain. There are a lot of folks in this world just like I was before I was saved. They know something is missing. They know they need help, but they don't know where to go. They don't know what the answer is. They really, they don't know exactly what they're looking for. They just know something is missing. And that's exactly the way I was before I was saved. And let me tell you, I'd still be searching for the answer had it not been for somebody telling me about Jesus. And that's why I'm telling you this morning, come to Jesus. Where else are you going to go? 
To whom shall we go, the Bible says, come to Jesus. Now here's the sad problem. There are many who profess that they have when they haven't. Remember what I said earlier about it's better to have no hope than to have a false hope? That's what I'm talking about. Some people profess that they have come to Jesus, but they really haven't. And they err in that they don't really understand what it means to come to Jesus. For some people, it's just the idea whether they're going to join the church. They think that's coming to Jesus. Or read their Bible every day, whatever that is. Let me make this as simple as I know how. A, B, C. First of all, you have to acknowledge Him to be who He claimed He was. You have to acknowledge that. There's no coming to Jesus, no hope, no salvation whatsoever without acknowledging Him. And that's what the whole debate was in regards to Christ. You know, some said, well, at last we have found Him. This is the Messiah. This is the prophet, the one that the Bible spoke of. The one that was promised. This, this is He. And others... Others claimed that he was some demon-possessed maniac of some kind. Others believed that it was his intent to overthrow the government and to rule himself. And that's why he became a threat to the, to the Roman Empire. Now, that's how the Jews convinced the Romans, you, we've got to get rid of this guy. He claims to be Caesar. He's going to, he's going to take over the show. We have to acknowledge, folks, that He is who He claimed to be. Who is He? The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelled among us. He is God incarnate. He is God Himself. Come down to earth in the form of man. He is the Savior. And Jesus just kind of summed it up when He said, I'm the fountain of living water. I'm the, I'm the bread of life. And he's, you can see that he, 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 it's almost as though He, out of desperation, trying to make it as simple as He can for these people to say, I'm the bread of life and you eat of this bread and you will never thirst again. Amen? You'll never get hungry again. You'll never thirst again. I'm the one that saves. I'm the one that satisfies. You have to acknowledge that's who He is. There's nowhere else to go. One religion's not as good as another. And then you have to believe in Him as your Savior. You have to believe that. By believe, I'm talking about not just giving your mental assent to historical facts. I'm talking about you trusting Him That's what that word means. It means that we trust that we're depending upon Him and we confess Him as our Lord. Whenever I say confess Him as Lord, I'm not just talking about some verbal expression, oh yeah, He's Lord. I'm talking about confessing Him by accepting Him, believing in your heart, trusting Him not just as your Savior, but as your Lord and Savior. You can't reject His Lordship and have Him as your Savior. He's either the Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And yet we live in a day when people have been deceived into merely praying a prayer to be saved. And I'm not saying that prayer is not sometimes involved in our acceptance of Christ. That's not what I'm saying. 
But I'm saying you can pray all you want, and prayer in itself is no better than baptism or anything else. I mean, if you're just dependent on your prayer, it's not prayer that saves, it's Jesus that saves. We might as well pray for Santa Claus to save us. Because, you know, if you just want Him to be your Savior and you're not willing to accept Him as your Lord, that's basically what you're, you want to use Him like Santa Claus. Give me what I want. And then I'm done with you. I'm out of here. Just leave me alone after that. You see, Jesus is not just a fire escape to get you out of hell. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And many profess to be saved when there is absolutely zero evidence that they really are. And if that's true of you this morning, it ought to be a matter of great concern. Because let me tell you, there's nowhere else to go. Peter said, to whom shall we go? There's nowhere else. It's Jesus or it's nothing. I think that's why some people have been troubled by their doubts. Because they've got reason to doubt. I had somebody come to me several years ago and say, I don't think I'm saved. What do you think, preacher? And I said, I don't think you are either. Well, how do you know? How do I know? Well, you just said you don't think you're saved. So why would, why would I believe you are when you don't think you are? I mean, I, I still I can't wrap my mind around it. We got we got Baptist preachers preaching this nonsense. That oh yeah, you can be saved and not know it. You can doubt it, and I I can't figure that out. He not only saves, he satisfies. And if you're trusting him, where is there room for doubting whether he has saved you or not? It's just kind of like making a wish, isn't it? You know, hoping you get there. And No, I thank God that, that the Lord has promised. He said, He that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. I will receive. You're either going to believe His Word or not. And if you're here today, some people say, well, I, for years I've been plagued by my doubts. Well, why don't you start trusting Jesus Christ and those doubts will go away? There's no reason for you to live another day with those doubts in your mind. You can settle it right here this morning. And you don't have anywhere else to go. So as Brother Willie sings, come to Jesus. Will you come to Him this morning and say, Lord, I need eternal life. I, I, I need to settle this. And, and I'm coming to You. And I promise you, He'll accept you this morning. Would you do that while we stand? We're going to sing a verse of invitation. And if you're here, maybe you're exactly like I was before I was saved. You can't really explain it. You don't know how to describe it. There's just this void in your life. And it might be that, you, you look, you might not have the same problem that I had. My problem, my basic problem was drinking. I was a drunk. Even when I didn't want to be. And I couldn't, I couldn't break away from it. I couldn't change. I, I wanted something better. I wanted to be a better husband. I wanted to be a better daddy, but I couldn't. 
something was missing and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know where to go. And old brother Gene Hankins told me and showed me, you come to Jesus. And I did. And you can too. Would you do that right now? Come on. Just as I say something before we sing another verse and because I realize there at the end we're dealing with something that is really confusing to a lot of people and that's the matter of doubt and no doubt there are some that would call me into question in that regards is it possible to doubt your salvation well yes it is but let me explain it might be that you're the most dedicated Christian here but you decide to go horseback riding you fall off of your horse and you hit your head on a rock. You don't know your name. You don't know your address for a while. You have a concussion. You're doubting everything. And let me tell you, there can be emotional trauma and things of that nature that will momentarily knock people off of their spiritual equilibrium until they they just not thinking straight. Are you with me? And, and so the devil comes along and he tries to sow that seed of doubt. Well, how do you really know the Bible is true? How do you really know that you're saved? And there, you know, with those emotions still raw from the trauma, it might, might, might be that you'll entertain that thought momentarily. But here's the good news. Whenever the, when, whenever the waves begin to calm down and the old ship begins to, to settle down and all of a sudden you're not being controlled by your emotions. The Bible says the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. I tell you, the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart as a child of God is to provide you the assurance that you are a child of God. And He doesn't fail in His ministry. Thank God for that blessed assurance that the Lord has given us. 
If you're here today and you don't know you're saved, we're going to sing another verse, and I, I just pray that... I, I wish we was ready. In fact, I'd have you sit down and have Willie come and sing that song, Come to Jesus. And Is there any way we can do that even? Where's Willie at? Well, Willie...